0: In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. One more time, would you welcome the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Tonight, I'm going to get right into my word. Uh, last Sunday night, I preached a message talking about how faith produces hope, and if we ever need anything in our nation right now, it was hope. Then Wednesday night, Brother Thomas comes, and he talks about faith, and Little did he know as I listened to him I was knowing where I was headed this week That we would be gelling together So if nobody appreciates this message tonight Maybe you will, Brother Thomas Because we're right there, buddy And uh, so tonight I'm going to Speak to you what the Lord has laid on my heart I'm going to be driving a three-speed Tonight I'm going to start out in first gear here And then that means things are going to shift As I get going, okay? So bear with me. Hallelujah Church, the fact that a war on religious freedom is at hand in America is unbelievable. In a nation that was founded on Christianity. Now, many don't see it as an issue, and you won't if you're not a Christian. Because America itself is not under siege as much as it is the Christians that are under siege. Under siege for the very fact that they are Christians who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Everything that you see happening right now in the Middle East is prophetic happenings taking place. Russia is going to rebuild the Soviet Union in time. The one world order will be established in time. The Roman Empire is coming back. Babylon will fall in time. And the church will be raptured and tribulation will come in time. Now speaking of the Roman Empire, the old one, which by the way, they were responsible for persecuting Christians in its early history. I'm talking second century all the way up until Constantine became emperor who legalized Christianity and I believe the problem we're having in America right now is leading up to the same problem they had in the ancient Roman Empire and here's what it is. The Romans had a tolerance of every religion. You could serve any God you wanted to serve, but they had an intolerance of Christians and I don't know if you're catching on to some of the things that are going on in America today, but there's now more than ever an intolerance to Christians. Not just in foreign countries, but right here in our very nation. Today, if you believe the Bible, you're labeled a right winger. If you read and believe the scripture that marriage is only between a man and a woman, you're a fanatic. If you believe that life begins at conception, a woman doesn't have a right to abort an innocent baby, you're a religious freak. If you believe homosexuality is an abomination, you're a bigot. And yet at the same time, we have liberals screaming tolerance. That every person ought to have a right to believe and live like they want to. Unless it's christianity, then there's an intolerance if you're a christian business owner and it goes against your christian belief to believe, believe to support abortion Yet you're mandated to do it by law proves. There's an intolerance to your christian belief The problem is they tolerate everyone but us christians Muslims can come into our nation and they can practice public prayer yet more and more schools are preventing public prayer They have no tolerance for anyone who challenges their system. Who are they that I'm talking about? The liberals in authority are conspiring to promote religious freedom for every religion except Christianity. You see, dead gods aren't a threat to their system and self-appointed authority. But a living God, Jehovah God Almighty, the only living God, wrecks their humanistic agendas. <laughs> Folks, our God's not dead. He's surely alive, living on the inside of every Christian in this world. He's still on the throne, and he will never, 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 ever be overthrown. Hallelujah. See, the Roman Empire was tolerant of every religion but Christianity. you know why? Because it was Christians that said there's only one God, not many gods. Christians who said Jesus is God and Zeus is not our God. It was Christians who would not bow down and kiss the ring of the emperor or the king. Before Rome totally collapsed and was turned over to barbarian tribes, it was known and recorded in a historical book that 400 senators of the Roman Empire had no religion at all. Folks, things are fastly changing in America to reflect those times again. We used to, in our country, elect people in high positions based upon their character and morality. Now that's not on the checklist of the majority anymore. Now they just want to know what's in it for me, what can he or she do for me? For some, what will I get for free, proven by the current desire for a socialistic agenda being endorsed by a segment of our society? For the first time in history, we have a judicial and legislative government that knows the least or even cares the least about biblical principles than ever before. So contrary to our forefathers who built this nation upon biblical principles and established laws based upon the word of God. To prove my point, if they knew the word of God and valued it and honored it, if they knew Bible prophecy, they wouldn't be treating Israel like they are. Blessed are those who bless Israel. Hallelujah. See, in the Roman Empire of the period that I'm talking about, do you know it was common for them to be bisexual? In this era of the Roman Empire, they were obsessed with sex. All their public statues built nudity. It won't be long in America. We won't have any statues remaining of any historical figures left. Maybe this is their plan of replacement as well. Rome got to the point they got so in debt they couldn't pay it back. Roads and bridges weren't, went unrepaired. Their infrastructure was collapsing because they were broke. Their solution to this economic catastrophe was tax the rich before it failed. Is this sounding familiar yet? We currently have a political party that highly favors the same ideal. Rome got in such a place they came up with a program called the Doles, which was the first welfare system developed in the world. And it started out good. Its intent was to help people in need. But what happened was it grew so big that people started started quitting their jobs Because they could make more money not working than they could working sound familiar. This is absolute history It got so bad that Rome passed a law that if you had a job, you couldn't quit it. Why? Because they had to get the revenue for their program from somebody somebody had to work to support all the welfare Somebody had to pay for the 50 to 60 percent living off the government Now I used all these examples to declare this The United States is in the same exact parallel pattern as that of the Roman Empire about 20 years before it collapsed and was overrun by dramatic pagan tribes. If history repeats itself, God help America. See, so they got to the point to where before Constantine became emperor, they were so mad at the Christians that they confiscated all the Bibles they had from them and called the Bible the hate book. Mark it down. That very ideal is going to show up soon again. We now have hate crime laws which target Christian police. They burned every Bible they found. One historian wrote, they even put up a monument declaring the extinction of the Word of God. Beginning with Nero, there were 10 major persecutions against Christianity that eventually ended with the rise of Constantine who legalized Christianity. Folks were in quite a similar place or nation as the Christians as were as the Christians were in the Roman Empire. The battle we face now is not as simple as they say, liberal versus conservative. The real battle is over our belief in Jesus Christ. It's good versus evil. It's a spiritual battle. And we got to decide which side we're going to be on. God says you're either for me or you're against me. The line's being drawn in the sand. God is getting his church in order. Our biggest battle is not going to be human war, but a spiritual war that humans will be involved in. Just today, this afternoon, on Fox News, speaking of the Ukrainian war, the head of the European ministry said these words, I quote, he says, Russian invasion of Ukraine is a simple spiritual battle. It's good versus evil. Ukraine, to some extent, is kind of the Bible Belt of the Eastern Europe, he said. They've been standing up, 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 they've been standing up for God for a long time, and they've been a beacon of light for quite some time now. And the former ambassador of the international freedom during the Trump mission said, the Russian invasion is a holy war over the politics of religion. Read it for yourself. So current, I had to add it to tonight's message. The church has got to wake up. We got to have a Holy Ghost breakthrough in America to awaken this old sleeping giant back up one more time. <laughs> See, when someone talks about Jesus and shares their faith, they're landblasted blasted by the liberal media. Because it's not really about that person, it's about their faith. It's not just because they're religious, it's because they're a Christian. It's because they believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They can believe in Buddha, Muhammad, and they can say nothing but Jesus, and it's a war. You could say God and keep it general as relating to many gods, but you say Jesus, the Son of God, it's persecution. Did Christ not say you'll be persecuted for my name's sake? Every day they're publishing legislation to ban the use of his name in public. Anything relating to the one and only true living God, Jehovah, is being banished. There is no tolerance for Christianity. Where are we headed? For a country that our founding fathers were Christians pilgrims who came to establish a country that guaranteed our religious freedoms, by pilgrims who were Christians, Baptist men who were Christians, by Methodist Protestant men who were Christians, who had one common belief, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, that he robed himself in flesh, left the splendor of heaven, was born of the Virgin Mary, was without spot or blemish, no guile could find him in his mouth. He walked this earth 100% man, 100% God, preaching in the synagogues and healing all manner of disease. And with 12 disciples, he turned the world upside down, spreading the gospel. He was arrested, mocked beaten, crucified on an old rugged cross but it was his father's will that he would be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world that his blood would bring forth the remission of sin they buried him in the tomb and on the third day he arose overcoming death, held in the grave securing eternal life for the believer then he ascended back to heaven and now he's sitting at the right hand of the father making intercession for you and I and upon his ascension he sent his promise the Holy Ghost to fill the earth, he's omniscient he's omnipresent, he's omnipotent, the soon coming king he is Jesus Christ that's who we believe in Hallelujah. Woo. Let's go to second gear. All right. And by that declaration of faith, the foundation of this great country, as you know it, and I know it, was founded upon godly principles derived from the Word of God, the Bible. The infallible, unadulterated Word of God written by men who were breathed on by the Holy Ghost. We serve one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity. Hallelujah, and by the documents called the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, which were founded upon Scripture, we established our religious freedom. Yet suddenly we have become so politically correct, we don't want to offend anyone, but Christians are fair game. We are becoming Rome all over again. Don't offend other faiths or religions of the world. Have tolerance, they say. Yet, intolerance for Christians. Why? Because it's got to do with this man called Jesus we as Christians serve the one and only true God. But how do you prove it? How do you prove the Bible, this book, is the truth? When the Hindus have a book, they say they're right. The Muslims have the Koran, they say they're right. I'll tell you how. Our God's not dead. And I'm going to let the word of God prove itself. I'm going to make a few points why I know Christians have got it right. The way to prove the Bible is true is because of the universal authority that occurs occurs when the word is read or quoted anywhere in the world. You see, our God is not just the God of America. He's the God of the universe. Jesus didn't just come to save Americans. This book was not written for just America. He came to save whosoever. How is the Bible so different? By its universal authority. For instance, if you went to a foreign land and heard them read their books, it'd sound like poetry or like they were reading a lecture, like a man reads a novel, and everyone just sits there, and they listen to them reading, and then they begin to leave. They're told, now, go and act like the book told you to act. But let me tell you what the Bible says about itself. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm going to tell you about the Bible for a minute. David said the word is quickened my spirit. In other words, made me alive. Let me tell you about the writing of our book that made a difference. The Bible is the only book you can get up and tell a story about a man named Joshua walking around the city of Jericho, not saying a word. But on the seventh day, as God had told him, they gave a great shout, and the walls of Jericho came down, coming down. And God gave them the city as He promised. And all of a sudden, five hundred people in a room in a congregation—Who's the story? Start jumping up and they start shouting. They start hollering because they believe what God did for Joshua, He can do for them. It's the only book where you can tell a story about three Hebrew boys who were thrown into a fiery furnace because they're not bowed down to a false god because they served Jehovah hope God Almighty. Even amid being thrown into a fiery furnace, they believed God would deliver them. So they're thrown in and as the king watched, he said, were there not only three thrown in the fire? The king says the fourth man looks like the son of God and he was and he delivered them as he promised. And upon hearing these words, many people in the congregation erupted in dancing and shouting with streams of tears, rolling down their face, praising and worshiping God that delivered and believing that those, the God that delivered them, three boys before he rewards it's the God that can deliver them why because the anointed word of God quickens your spirit and makes you come alive because it's a living word it's not about a 10 foot tall dead statue it's about all about a consuming God whom you can experience because you believe his word hallelujah when you take this book anywhere in the world and you preach it, it has the same effect on everyone that will dare to believe. It has universal authority. You can preach it in China. You can preach it in Africa. You can preach it in Iran. It has the same effects. It's always going to bring conviction. Its power is universal. It's not been written for a certain generation, for a certain culture, or for a certain race. It's for the world. It's the only true living word of God. It's the infallible unaltered word of God written by men as it breathed on by the Holy Spirit. It's the only book that promises Is eternal life the fact that the authority of the Bible is so universal it can be effective anywhere in the world proves it's the absolute truth? In China, people are getting saved by the thousands, India, Iran, Iraq, anywhere this word is being spoken. It's not just a good novel, no matter what a novel is written, there's always a better one written. And what's number one on the New York Times bestseller only lasts a few years at the most. After that, no one will care anymore about it, especially the next generation. So then can anyone in here explain to me then, how can I have a book called the Bible that is the best-selling book in the world today that started out the most bought book and still the most bought book after hundreds of years? Why hasn't it never went out of style? It's not a novel. (laughs) Hallelujah. second point of proof we got it right as Christians, the universal authority of his name. What I'm about to say is very significant. Jesus said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Then continue on to say to his disciples, "Greater things this shall you do by the power that worketh you. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name: They shall cast out devils. They shall speak in new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and not harm. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover." Notice the power is in the name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. At the mention of his name, demons tremble. Jesus taught the disciples to pray in his name, that the Father will hear them in his name and answer them in his name. There is power in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, his name has universal power. That's why Reinhard Bunker could go into Indonesia, hold a revival, have 100,000 men and women attend, and he could stand on the stage and holler. In the name of Jesus, be baptized in the Holy Ghost. And 100,000 men and women begin to fall like dominoes under the power of God, baptized in the Spirit. It's not just a Western thing. It is a universal God thing. Yeah, Hataya. <laughs> If Christianity is only a Western thing, then it should only work in the West. But go anywhere in the world and say Jesus, it'll affect people's lives. I'll give you a quick story told by a well-known preacher. He said he had a missionary friend go to a remote village in Indonesia, to deliver food, water, and share the gospel. He says way up in the mountains, a place so secluded they had never even seen a white man before. When they arrive, they're met by 400 women. No men there at this time. All they can see is their eyes because their faces are covered. And the guide introduces a man who begins to share stories about Jesus. And all he did was share stories from the Bible of Jesus, his love, his power to heal, and to deliver for nearly 30 minutes. Upon completing, surprisingly, the head lady matriarch lets down her veil, which she would have been stoned for if any men were there. And she says to him by surprise, thank you for coming. I know it's dangerous for you. We are Muslims. We have nothing in our heart for this man you speak of. He's a Jew, and we have nothing in our hearts for Jews. But please explain to me, as she began to weep, what is this burning that takes place down inside of me every time you say the name Jesus? And then along with her, the other ladies who felt the same began to weep and well uncontrollably. That day the missionary led all four hundred of them to Christ on that secluded foreign mountain. The universal authority of the name of Jesus proves we have it right. Another point is the universal power of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of Him that if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwelleth in you. That spirit of Christ in you bears witness he is the Messiah. If this is only a Western thing, then why, when evangelists and preachers and missionaries from America go to foreign countries that don't know Christ? People who have no clue who you're talking about, just as if you were talking about Christopher Columbus to them, if he's just a god of a Western culture, then how come they can tell them about Christ, invite them to an altar, and all they do is lay hands on them in the name of Jesus, and immediately they begin to respond exactly like we do here in America, And they begin to speak in unknown tongues and fall out and shake and dance and run the aisles and shout. No one told them to. They hadn't heard nothing or saw nothing of how Americans respond. If it's just a Western thing, then why does it work in a Southern country? Because the same spirit that raised Jesus that dwells in your American body has just inhabited the Muslim's body. Are you getting this? It is a universal spirit. What else proves we got it right? The power of the preached word. There's power in preaching Christ, crucified and resurrected. How do most religions teach their people about their God? Through books and schools and synagogues and mosques and churches. But it's the preaching of the word that proves that a Christian's belief in Christ is the truth. Here's what I mean. You know, most religions teach their people with the books as an example of the Quran. We had the Bible, which we taught as well. But here's the difference. You can be touched by our God. You can have a personal experience with God that can teach you who he is. (laughs) Even if you weren't raised by the simple knowledge of who the Bible says he is, what am I saying? A 60-year-old man can be invited to church, knows nothing about Christ, never read the Bible, nor attended Sunday school. How can the first time he listens to a man he don't know, preach about a man he's never known, named Jesus for 30 minutes, and the preacher gives an altar call, and he's moved to the point he gets up and runs to the altar and gets saved. No teaching, no Sunday school, not raising. How can that happen? Because Jesus said, I will draw all men unto me. You cannot be saved unless the Spirit of God draws you. You see, you heard of Jesus he heard of the love of Jesus, how that God loves him and is for him and not against him. It gave him the faith to believe he, he was who he said he was. Faith cometh by hearing, by hearing the word of God. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit quickened his spirit. You show me any other religion in the world whereby you can lay hands on the sick and say in the name of Jesus be healed and God heals him. Say in the name of Jesus be delivered and God delivers him. That can cause an alcoholic to lose his desire to drink by laying hands on them in the name of Jesus. You want to know how I know it's real? Because I had an encounter with him February 27, 1997, and I have never been the same myself. I never would have changed had I been for the man, never be the man I am today. God changed me. He forgave me. He saved me. He sanctified me. He filled me with the Holy Ghost. I don't talk like I used to. I don't drink like I used to. I don't go where I used to. I don't hang out with who I used to. He renewed my spirit. He renewed my mind. He took my sinful desires and placed them with his desires. Now, he lives in me, and I abide in him and him in me. I didn't get it from a book or a TV evangelist. I have been born again by the Spirit of God, for which now I can call out, have a Father, and that's the truth and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. <clears throat> Woo. We as Christians today are living in America at a time with becoming tolerant with sin and with world religions. Yes, it's becoming intolerant with Christianity. It's time for the church to decide where it's going to stand. We must stand on the Word of God. So, what's going to happen to the church as it's being attacked? As an intolerance for Christians growing in a world? I'll answer that question by first stating it's already happening. It's happening as it happened in the days of Stephen. Just like it will happen again in due time. Just like it happens every day in China, many foreign countries. Just because someone believes in Jesus Christ, many are persecuted every day. And that same intolerance is growing in our nation as well. Every other religion is accepted, but Christianity has become the target because it opposes every other religion. So what's going to happen as opposition eventually persecution, arises for the Christians in America? I believe the same thing that happened in Stephen's day. When they stoned him, threw him out of the city because they could no longer withstand his faith in God. As a result, the Christians were scattered throughout the land. Yet the more they persecuted the church, the more the church grew because the more their faith grew. Church, be encouraged. No matter what comes against the church in these last days, I'm here to tell you the more they attack it, the more it's going to grow. Yeah. Our country is being infiltrated by worldly cultures, worldly religious beliefs daily through our borders. And with them, they are bringing various religious beliefs by which most of them oppose Christianity. And now they're getting involved in our political process. They're even now being elected to leadership positions. And the majority will join the liberal party. It's bigger than just them just taking our jobs and our taxpayer money, church. Soon they'll want to take away our religious freedoms that don't agree with their beliefs. Persecution of religious freedoms as long as it's in many foreign countries, but for the first time in American history, our religious freedoms, guaranteed by our Constitution, are an assault like never before. So what do we do as Christians as the opposition against Christians begins to grow? We do like Stephen. We are to be men and women of good character and full of the Holy Ghost. Because is this, this is the last days as we believe, that means perilous times are coming. But it also mean God's got a plan to conquer it. And it shall come to pass that in the last days saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Hallelujah. Let's go to third gear. I declare to you and to the opposition tonight, I know you're listening. The church is not going to die as a result of your opposition or your intolerance towards it's actually going to grow and multiply greatly. There will be a great following today, but there's going to be a great end time revival soon. A move of God right in the middle of this opposition. Matter of fact, it's already happening. Something's moving. Something's changing. I'm telling you, no matter what they do, the more they come against us, the more we'll grow. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. They have become intolerant of Christianity because they can't resist the wisdom and the spirit, of which the church speaks as they did in Stephen's day under the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, they can take prayer out of the schools. They can take the Ten Commandments off the wall. They can take his name off the money, but they can't take him out of our hearts because in us he lives and he breathes. And because he lives, we shall live also. In these last days, there's going to be a move of God like we've none, like we've ever seen before. And as it is, was in Stephen's day of great opposition, disciples will multiply greatly. I'm talking about a harvest of souls. And the difference this time than Stephen's day, where the opposition scattered the church, the church is going to rise and shine, and this time, we're going to scatter our enemies. Read the book, church. We win this time. I believe while darkness surrounds us, there's going to be pockets of light spring up right in the midst of it all. I believe the remnant church will survive. Let me tell you what I believe about the revival to come. I think our perception of revival is a little misfocused. We're wanting and seeking the manifestations of God's presence. Until we see them, we'll say not, we'll, we will say we're not in revival. You see, I believe God's moving in a new way. I believe revival's already begun for some. I believe he's looking for hunger. And most of all, he's looking for faith. Therefore, I believe the next great revival will be one for reviving our faith, for the sole purpose of winning the harvest of souls. And until our faith is revived, the manifestations will not happen as we desire. But when our faith is revived, then the manifestations and the signs and the wonders will follow. God wants to make our faith grow. Take us from little faith to much faith to great faith. And how does that happen? Faith cometh by hearing, by hearing the word of God. It's the preaching and the reading of God's word that activates our faith. Just like you, when you receive a credit card in the mail, until you activate it, it's worth nothing. But when you do, it gives you access to what you believe allotted on your card. When you activate your faith, you gain access to what you believe you have been allotted by God. Faith without works is dead. The man with the withered hand had to stretch it forth. The crippled man had to rise up and the wall. The woman with the issue of blood had to press in. What drove them to act? Faith. How did they get faith? By hearing that which in return calls them to believe. Everything you hear me say tonight according to the word of God can only be possible if you believe this word by faith. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the days ahead of us will become better for our world. Wow. But I think, it's been prophesied, prelatic times are coming. I believe it's prophesied. Men will wax worse and worse. Men's hearts will fail them for fear. But I believe, in the midst of all of the darkness to come, as the world grows weaker, the church will grow stronger by faith. Intolerance of Christianity, the things that God is going to continue to grow in these last days. To counter it, we need revival. And I believe the revival we're going to have in the last days, though, is going to be a revival of faith. Causing the church to grow stronger than it's ever been in our faith. Faith that will cause us to believe the word again. Therefore, give us the instruction we need for the last days that lie ahead. To give us the faith to believe he can still save to the othermost. The faith to believe he can still heal the sick. The faith to believe he can still deliver the bound and the oppressed. I believe the revival of our faith is going to come to us by the preached word. That preachers in the last days are going to be anointed with the spirit of Elijah. And as our faith grows, signs and wonders will follow. Too many are wanting signs and wonders without having faith. I believe faith is going to grow to the point it causes laborers to go to the harvest fields, to the highways and the byways, and to compel them to come in. While the church is looking for signs and wonders, God is looking for faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hallelujah. Ukraine is facing literary genocide. It don't get no darker than when those folks are at, folks. They passed a law. They require every man 16 to 60 to stay and fight. But many had done fled to other countries prior to this order being imposed. Did you notice their theory in choosing the ages 16 to 60? You know why? They knew they needed the young and the old fighting together. They knew the young men had the strength and the old men had the wisdom. They needed unity. And the conditions they are facing have caused it to happen. Together, they are putting up the greatest resistance to a major army than ever before. Russia has tanks and planes and missiles and weapons superiority, yet it's taken them almost a month to go 20 miles, and it hasn't taken over Kyiv yet. Can I tell you they're not fighting alone? We have a lot of Church of God's in Ukraine, that it's a harvest field right now, and you know what's happening? A lot of the men who ran away are returning back to fight. And I say all that to say this, there might be a great falling away in the church now, but as the conditions worsen in our world, there's going to be a running back to the church to fight, causing the greatest revival of faith this nation's ever seen take place. Men and women of all ages united together against the evil of this world. God's going to have an army consisting of soldiers of the faith that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. The conditions aren't quite just bad enough yet, but they're coming And when they do, don't you count the church out. It's going to rise and shine and our enemies are going to be scattered. I want to tell you something church. The church may not be to t- be popular today but tomorrow. May not want to come to today but tomorrow. Many may not want to hear the preaching today but tomorrow. Many may not have faith today but tomorrow. And as the ministers of the gospel during this time we are instructed to preach the word of God to be instant in season and out of season. That means preach to them when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Regardless what season they're in and can I tell you, the season of them not wanting to hear is over, and a new season they want them to hear is here. It's time to have faith to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. The church's message to the world day is, we've tolerated you long enough. Your lies, your threats, your deception, your intolerance to our faith, but the tide's fixing to change. If you don't like us today, you're sure not going to like us come tomorrow. We refuse to quit to give in, to be a silent church anymore. If God be for us, you can't be against us. You can roar us like a lion, but you ain't no lion. But my God is the lion of Judah. Hallelujah. Sorrow may last for a but joy is coming in the morning because church, he's coming back. This is the generation them to seek him, to seek thy face, O oh, Jacob. Lift up your heads, O oh, ye gates, and be you lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. The battle is the Lord's. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm preaching this word on the anointing of God in an effort to activate your faith. You want to move mountains, it takes faith in God. You want to be healed, it takes faith in God. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. You want hope, If you want to have hope, you have to have faith in God. You want to be saved, you're saved by grace through faith in God. The weapons are our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Prayer is our most powerful weapon, but without faith in God we don't pray. Without faith in God we don't read our words. We won't win the spiritual battle without faith in God. We won't even make it to heaven without faith in God. Faith will once again cause us to believe we can do all things through Christ, to strengthen us. It'll cause us to once again we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Faith produces hope. Because if in this world only we have hope, we are men most miserable. In the last day revival revival, faith's going to be revived, causing us to believe in God again. The church is going to grow stronger because our faith is going to be enlarged. It's going to take us from that little faith to great faith. Our faith grows. When our faith grows, revival will grow. And if we die fighting for our faith, we'll be able to stand before the Lord just like the old apostle Paul did. And declare, I fought the good fight. I finished my race. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We are in revival, but many don't know it because they lack faith. Their faith needs to be activated. It will bring faith that brings revival. It's not going to come by a man, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, spirit, said the Lord of hosts. This is what overcomes the world, your faith. As so many know, when we wanted to have revival in the years past, we scheduled it. We announced it when it's when it coming. This Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're having revival. So-and-so will speak. It's not going to happen that easy anymore, church. If it's that easy, then why are we waiting so long to schedule it? Dear Lord, put it on the counter. Please, let's get this thing started. Let's get it advertised. That's how we did it for years. True, and there were some great revivals. So why did we quit scheduling? Because it quit working. Why? Maybe God got tired of people looking to man instead of him for hope. Maybe God got tired of always having to be waited to be invited, to be put on a schedule of men. I'm going to tell you something God's not into narcissistic anointing. Men and women who believe things got to happen just because they said it has to. Charisma driven, simulated experiences, they're great for if all you want to do is spark emotions. Church, this God we serve is real. We don't got to emulate nor simulate experiences where we simply get to have pretend experiences that vanish by the time you get back to your car in the parking lot. No, 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 no. Church, he is an experience of God that's willing to bring life-changing experiences to those who hunger and thirst after it. God's tired of the theatrics. And the circuses, man-made shows of emotion, and then claiming those things to be of God, yet produce nothing but a feel-good session. Frankly, I am too. God says I didn't call men of God to be celebrities. I called them to be servants of the Most High God. I left that arena a long time ago. I didn't say they had to be cute, highly educated, full of charisma, and wear skinny jeans. I just called them to be righteous. Come on, somebody. There have been men and women I've exalted. And highly favored he says but it had nothing to do with their physical abilities it had to do with their hearts men like Elijah and John the Baptist would have a tough time being acknowledged during this Hollywood era of the gospel Elijah was said to be so ugly kids made fun of him that is until God made bears eat them for their disrespect this time is not going to come by a man you want revival Grow your faith. As your faith grows, the manifestations increase and signs and wonders follow. It's going to come by the word of God activating our faith by you hearing it, reading it, and doing it. Everybody just wants God to come down like zappa's Without faith, revival's not coming for you. You know what, Sister Jenny? There's not a better time than for us to be reading the word of God. It's a God thing. It's bigger than what you thought its purpose was. It's to grow our faith. And if we will stay committed, your faith will be activated and revival will come. It's the preparation for revival to be launched in our midst. You say you have faith and do like James says, show me your works. Because faith without works is dead. Show me what you're doing for the kingdom of God. Show me how you're laboring in the harvest fields that are ripe, but the labors are few. But for too many right now, fear is conquering their faith. It's not a time to be fearful. It's a time to be faithful. And faith will conquer your fears. I guarantee you, faith has never been greater in Ukraine. The harvest fields have never been riper. Matter of fact, the other night showed a 65-year-old preacher that says, I'm not leaving. There's a harvest here. So many believe that we can't have revival. So many believe that God doesn't heal no more. That church isn't relevant anymore. And yet we say we have faith. Our faith has got to be revived. Our faith in God is what's going to bring revival. It will activate the greatest revival of faith and signs and wonders will follow and God will manifest his power. But we can't have this without faith. So how do we make our faith stronger? By exercising our faith. By practicing our faith. Our faith gets better. Until we get to where we not only believe in God but we also believe in each other. Would you stand with unite, tonight? Musicians, would you come? I'm telling you church this revival is about reviving our faith and when our faith is revived manifestations will come signs and wonders will follow and there will be revival we got to learn how to Exercise our faith, faith to make it stronger by hearing the word, reading the word, those things. Give me somebody who needs a healing. Raise your hand right quick. Just somebody needs a healing. Wayne, come here for a minute. Stand right there. Stand right here. Okay. Come here, Craig. Right here. When you came, do you have the faith to believe that God can heal you tonight? Thank you. Craig, you're here. Do you have the faith that God can heal him tonight? You do? Okay. Come here. When faith meets faith, regardless of the age, when faith meets faith, It's like putting two positives together. Where do you get a spark? It sparks something called faith. And when we get to the point that we realize that this brother can lay hands on this brother and be healed, things happen, lay hands on him and pray for him. me another hand. Somebody needs to be healed. Come here, Jeff. You stand over there. I want a young person. Give me somebody young. Come here, Lucas.